Good morning, ladies. We're excited to be continuing our study in the Gospel of Matthew this fall. We started this Gospel last January, and we thought it would be a good idea to review what we've been learning in chapters 1 through 17, to see who the author is introducing his audience to, and what following him would cost and mean to us. Matthew had a specific purpose in writing his Gospel that was unique and different from the other three Gospels. Matthew focuses on Jesus and his kingdom so that all would come to believe in Jesus, living as kingdom citizens, and doing his kingdom work in spreading the gospel. Let's start by turning to Matthew 28, and we will be reading verses 18 to 20. So I'll give you time to flip there. It's the Great Commission. Let's read it together. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I wanted to have this verse on our mind today, and I want it to be on our mind as we go through chapters 18 to 28, because the entire Gospel of Matthew points to and builds to that verse. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you open our eyes and our hearts to this beautiful truths of your Gospel as we look through this book of Matthew, that our hearts would be encouraged to follow Jesus and his kingdom work, We pray that you would sustain us through the hardships that will come as a cost of following him. And we pray that the Holy Spirit teach us how we should live in the kingdom here in our homes, in our church, and in our community. Amen. The introduction to Matthew takes us first through chapters 1 to 4. Here, Matthew will introduce us to Jesus. Let's Now we're going to flip right back to the beginning. Let's read chapter 1, verse 1. It reads, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of God, the son of Abraham. Matthew has wasted no time in proclaiming Jesus as the long-awaited Messiah. In the first verse of the entire New Testament, Jesus is called by the title Christ. Christ means the anointed one or king. And this is followed by two names that would be very familiar and meaningful to the Jewish audience. We know that God made a promise to David in 2 Samuel 7 that through David's offspring, God would establish a forever kingdom. We also know that God made a promise to Abraham in Genesis 12, 1 to 3, that through Abraham and his offspring, all nations would be blessed. Therefore, Matthew is proclaiming that the fulfillment of these is Jesus. Jesus is king over an everlasting kingdom, which would bless all nations rings a little bit of familiarity with Matthew 28 at the end, the Great Commission. The genealogy then goes on to prove this proclamation by showing Jesus as a descendant of David and Abraham. So Matthew is speaking to a Jewish audience that would know these scriptures and Old Testament prophecies well. These people had waited hundreds of years for this long-awaited Messiah, and Matthew is telling them, that he is here. Not only Matthew, but God himself. Listen to what God says as we read chapter 3, verse 17. And behold, 
a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Matthew will continue in these opening chapters to use Old Testament prophecies eight times to point to Jesus Christ as a fulfillment of these prophecies. I think we can remember in the teachings and reading that we would come across these kinds of verses. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, or so that what was spoken by the prophet might be fulfilled. But Matthew is building this theme of fulfillment and then uses the very words of Jesus to make his point even more. In chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus himself proclaims, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus could not proclaim that without having great authority. And we see that Jesus does indeed have authority over Satan, In chapter 4.10, we read, Be gone, Satan, is what Jesus tells them. The rest of chapter 4 builds on this. After banishing Satan, Jesus immediately preaches repentance. He speaks with authority to Peter and Andrew in verse 19 when he says, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. He shows his authority over diseases and afflictions in verse 23. So Matthew's theme of fulfillment makes it clear that Jesus is king, and Jesus has authority. This fulfillment theme continues to weave through the rest of the book of Matthew, and we will see that in the review and as we continue on this fall. Matthew reveals Jesus as an obedient son who desires to do the will of his father, even paying the ultimate cost. We will see that anyone desiring to live in Jesus' kingdom will also need to be obedient to the Father and desire to do his will. How exactly do you enter the kingdom? The Lord told Joseph in 1, verse 21, You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So people need to realize their sin. And then Matthew makes it clear the next step is repentance. John the Baptist preaches it in, verse, in chapter 3, verse 2. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus also preaches in, seven, in chapter 4, 17. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus is king over a kingdom, and by repenting and believing that Jesus is the Messiah, we enter his kingdom. Jesus is ushering, a new kingdom that is ra- ushering in a new kingdom that is radically different. So the gospel of the kingdom is this. We are sinners in need of a savior. We are called to repent of our sins and believe in Jesus. This theme of the kingdom and Jesus' authority will be seen through the rest of the gospel of Matthew. Chapter 4, verse 17 reads, From that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is called a hinge verse. And we see here that Matthew shifts to where Jesus' teachings and healings establish the authority talked about in the introduction. So it builds on it. It starts with the Sermon on the Mount and the sermon of how the citizens of the kingdom are to live. He explains that he is ushering in something very different than what they were hearing from the scribes and the Pharisees and what they had read in the Old Testament law. He taught that the righteousness in the kingdom of heaven is of the heart, and his teachings reveal what is in his heart and your heart. 
Listen to his warnings in chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Notice this. Jesus has the authority to say who enters the kingdom. Let's read chapter 7, verses 28 and 29. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. We see clearly by the end of the Sermon on the Mount that many were recognizing his authority, but we are told of many who were in opposition to him. So here we see the beginning of a third theme emerging, leading through the rest of the book, the theme of opposition and conflict against Jesus. By chapter 7, verses 13 to 29, Jesus teaches that there are two kinds or two groups of people. Those who believe in him and enter the narrow gate that leads to, leads to life, and those who oppose Jesus and enter the way that leads to destruction. Continuing in chapters 8 and 9, Jesus is now doing his active ministry after his Sermon on the Mount. He shows his authority through healings so that people will truly follow him. Jesus shows his authority over sin when he cleanses the leper and forgives the sins of the paralytic. He shows authority over sickness, demons, creation, and death. He made the blind to see, the mute to talk. All through these healings, Jesus reveals his heart. He is loving and compassionate to all. In revealing his heart, he is revealing that his kingdom is both for Jews and Gentiles, men and women, the lowly and powerless, the ones who think they are unworthy, people like you and I. The ones who truly believe in Jesus respond with humility, devotion, and service. They follow him. But there are still many who are blinded to who Jesus was and is. The people of the Gadarenes beg Jesus to leave in chapter 8. The scribes in chapter 9, verse 3, accuse Jesus of blaspheming. And the Pharisees are starting to openly question all that Jesus does. Their reaction continues the theme of opposition and conflict that weaves through these chapters. And we also see the theme of fulfillment again in chapters 8, verses 16 and 7, which reads, He cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. And this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. We're moving pretty quickly through here. At the end of chapter 9, we read in verses 37 and 38. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. There were many who needed to hear the gospel message. So in chapter 10, the second sermon of Jesus, he gives his authority to the disciples so they can do his work. The disciples who followed Jesus are now the apostles who are being sent. He instructs them on how to do this work of proclaiming the kingdom of heaven and prepares them for the reception they will receive. Jesus tells them this reception will not be kind. They will face opposition. They will even be persecuted. But they are told to be strong, faithful in the Lord. 
we see here the very real and growing theme of opposition. It will be bad enough for the disciples that Jesus tells them not to fear it. And Jesus makes two compassionate promises to his disciples. They are told in chapter 10, verse 32, Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I, will also, I, will, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. And again, in chapter 10, verses 40 and 42, Whoever receives you, receives me. And whoever receives me, receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. So Jesus made it clear in his sermon in chapter 10, the message of the king and the gospel message will bring opposition and conflict. We will see in chapters 11 and 12, this opposition coming to the forefront. He starts by dispelling doubts about who he is. Everyone has been listening and following him, but they have not really understood. Even John the Baptist asks in chapter 11, verse 3, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? Jesus' answer to that is a bold proclamation from Isaiah's prophecy in chapters 42 and 61. I am the one who is to come. Now Jesus starts to take on his opposition. In chapter 11, verse 15, he says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But Jesus knows full well that the opposition is deaf. He calls out that generation for their lack of repentance and unbelief. Then Jesus calls out whole cities, woe to you, woe to you, and tells them of their coming judgment. The opposition continues asking questions that accuse Jesus of breaking the law. They do not understand that something greater than the temple is here. Jesus desires mercy and not sacrifice. So there it is, the emergence of two camps. Those who believe in Jesus and desire to do his kingdom work and those who are against Jesus and seek to destroy his kingdom work. It is a destructive opposition full of hateful accusations. So here in chapters 11 and 12, we see all of those beautiful themes weaving through. We see the kingdom theme as we get a beautiful glimpse of what the kingdom of heaven is like. We all are invited to enter. We enter only by God's grace. It is a place of true rest. Listen to chapter 11, verses 28 and 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We enter the kingdom by faith. Jesus was the once and for all sacrifice, the atonement for our sin, and we receive a new family in the kingdom, brothers and sisters in the faith. The theme of Jesus and his authority is expanded in these chapters. He has the authority to declare the degree of judgment on cities and nations. 
Jesus has the authority to reveal the true intent of the law, even declaring the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And Jesus has the authority to judge the hearts of men. And the theme of opposition is growing. Opposition is becoming bolder. The Pharisees reveal their hearts in 1214. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. The motive of destruction is why Jesus instructed and prepared his disciples in chapter 10. Chapter 13 starts Jesus' third sermon select, or section of the book of Matthew. So, so far in the book of Matthew, we've had the introduction, we've had a sermon, and then we've had Jesus' activity and ministry. We've had a second sermon, and we see how it's played out in what's going on around as Jesus travels. Now we have this third sermon. It is all teaching in parables, and the parables are all about the kingdom and how it grows. Jesus tells his disciples that he teaches in parables to draw in those who see and understand and want to know more so they can grow. Those who do not see are the ones spoken of in Isaiah 6, 9, which is quoted in this chapter. The parables teach that the kingdom grows and spreads around the world. The kingdom work is Jesus' work. Jesus calls the, son, calls the sons of the kingdom righteous. The sons of the kingdom will live in the kingdom after the harvest. And lastly, the kingdom is of great value. But there are enemies of that kingdom that seek to destroy it. The theme of judgment is taking place in these parables. Some will enter the kingdom of heaven, some will not. There is a harvest at the end of the age. Some will be thrown into the fiery furnace, while the righteous will shine like the sun. As we move into chapters 14 to midway through 16, the hostility between these two camps is in full view. Starts right early in chapter 13, verses 57. The opposition rejects Jesus in his own hometown. 1357 says they took offense at him. And that is heartbreaking. John the Baptist is executed by Herod and those who hate Jesus. The opposition of the Pharisees grows to join with the Sadducees to test Jesus. And now we see Jesus, in all his authority, respond to all this hostility. He reveals the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. He reveals the hardened hearts of the Pharisees. He calls the Pharisees blind guides. He says that what comes out of their mouths defiles them. Jesus calls the Pharisees and Sadducees an evil and adulterous generation. Jesus warns his disciples about the teachings of the Pharisees and Sadducees because their teachings lead to unbelief. They teach to keep self on the throne of the heart. This chapter, with all this hostility and the strong stance of authority and rebuke from Jesus, reminds me of a gunfight in an old Western movie. It's unbelievable back and forth. But in the midst of all this, Jesus never stops ministering to the crowds that follow him. Showing compassion, he healed the sick, fed the 5,000, healed the lame, the blind, the crippled, and mute. And he fed the 4,000. Jesus sacrificially meets the needs of his people. Then the nugget. 
right in the middle of chapter 16, the turning point in the book of Matthew, the confession of Peter. So far in the book of Matthew, there has been a continuous revelation of who Jesus is with a growing understanding in the disciples. But now the proclamation from Peter, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus' kingdom grows when people confess that Jesus is the Christ. For us today, to live in the kingdom means to live a life of obedience to the Lord. And we can only do this with the help of the Holy Spirit. We are to learn and grow and be sent out to make disciples. There are two verses in the book of Matthew which mark a change of direction. Matthew 4, 17, that reads... From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, and this began the section of the book that brings believers together to see who Jesus is and his authority. And likewise, we see in Matthew 16, verse 21, where it reads, From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day raised again. On the third day be raised, sorry. Jesus now turns, and he physically, in his movements now, starts to move towards Jerusalem. And the book of Matthew now focuses on another section where Jesus begins to show sincere disciples what following him really means. There will be a cost to follow him, and a need to be equipped to be a disciple and disciple maker. Matthew also introduces here the theme of Jesus as the suffering Messiah and the suffering that will mark the lives of his followers. Jesus, the king, shows his obedience and submission to his father's will when in those verses he says he must go to Jerusalem. Jesus knows that he must suffer, be killed, and then raised on the third day. In this theme of the kingdom, we get a new look at Jesus' kingdom in chapter 16, verses 24 to 29. The kingdom does not elevate self, but requires death to self. We are to live for Christ and unto Christ. To follow Jesus, we have to do as Jesus did and embrace humility and obedience. Philippians 2, verse 8 reads, And being found in human form, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. As we finish our review with chapter 17, we see two things of importance. A confirmation of who Jesus is and his mission and purpose. We are told in chapter 17 of Jesus' transfiguration that Peter, James, and John, his brother, witnessed Jesus' brief display of divine glory. And the confirmation of who he is was from a voice in heaven saying, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. For the disciples now, there could be no doubt. They would need this confidence. Later in chapter 17 in verses 22 and 23, Jesus foretells for the second time, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. This was Jesus' purpose. 
to suffer and die in our place and to rise again to defeat death. The disciples needed the reminder that this was all part of God's plan. Jesus is moving towards Jerusalem to fulfill his purpose. He is aware of a hostile opposition and so will turn and directly instruct those who have decided to follow him in Matthew 18. I encourage you to take time this week to read it and meditate on it and prepare yourself for next week. Um, I am so thankful for the ladies who labored hard in the word to teach us chapters 1 through 17. And all the teachings of Matthew um, 1 through 17 are on podcast. So if you want to review more in depth, I would encourage you to have a listen. Thanks. Thanks.